0: To the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. What uh, what a joyful day! What a great day uh, for us to share together. We've been we've, we're in part three now of our series called "As," and today is called "Monkey See, Monkey Do." You'll uh, you'll 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 catch on very quickly and know exactly what I'm talking about. We started off by talking about how Jesus really wanted to make it simple for us. He he wanted to really um, simplify it for us. He really wanted to simplify it for us and make it a lot easier for us. In the Old Testament there used to be 613 laws and they could be all summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus wanted to make it even more simple for us. And he says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And when he says the word, when he says the word as, he's setting the standard. Before it was love your neighbor as yourself. The standard was to love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Jesus has raised the bar on us and has told us now he's calling us to love our neighbor, to love our brother, to love our sister as much as he has loved us. So that begs the question, how much have we been loved? Another way of asking the same question is, what does love require of me? This word as becomes the new standard. And so it's almost like the word as is is the fulcrum of the seesaw. And you've got two things on either side. You've got love one another, which is the commandment. And then as I have loved you. And the message from a couple of weeks ago was that this side, this side I have loved you is weightier, is heavier, is more prominent than this. The love with which God has loved us is It's far more powerful, far more influential in our life than the love with which we will ever love one another. And so if we look, if we simply turn our focus and our attention to how much we have been loved, it becomes a lot easier to do the love one another. When I tell you love love people as much as Jesus has loved you, you're like, oh my goodness, that is so impossible. Jesus died for me. Jesus was incarnate for me. Jesus was born on a stinky, stanky manger for me. Jesus went through all of this for me. I don't know if I could do that for anybody, Father John. I don't know. I don't know if I can, but if we put our our attention and our focus on how what's on this side of the as, all of a sudden it becomes that much that much easier. And the the last week, that was the first week, the second week, we talked about have mercy on others, as I have had mercy on you, and we we used Jesus's parable of the unforgiving servant, and we talked about that, and we asked the question again. How much have you been loved? And we realize that the easiest way probably to answer that question on a very personal note for each one of us is to ask how much have you been forgiven? And it's almost like the amount of love with which I've been loved is directly proportional to the amount of Forgiveness. I've been forgiven. Well, how can I? How can I quantify how much I've been forgiven? Well, what I, what have I been forgiven for? If I had had a debt for ten dollars and it was forgiven and I no longer owe it to anybody, then I was forgiven ten dollars. If I was, if I had a debt of twenty dollars or a hundred dollars. Now, sin is not necessarily debt in orthodox thought, but the idea that forgiveness is directly proportional to sin and. God's love for us is infinite, but when I tell you that something is infinite, and I ask you how big is that, you, all you can say is, I don't know, Father John, is really big, you know? But how big, how how infinite is infinite? I remember being a little kid, and my parents asking me, my mom asking me, how much do you love me? And I'd tell her I love you this much. And then my dad would ask me, how much do you love me? And I would have to like, and I, like I felt like a need to up it, you know? So I'd be like, oh, I love you this much. Not that I love one more than the other. And then my grandmother would ask me, and be like, I love you this much. You know, right? And um, right? And it's almost like what? How do you quantify that love? Well, this is a way of measuring how much. You know, how much have I have I been loved? Well, I've been loved at least enough to be forgiven this much, probably more, but at least enough to be forgiven this much. Because you know what? If I had sinned this much, and it wasn't worth forgiving me, then it would have just written me off. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 40, in the prayer book, Psalm 39 in the Bible, that says, <laughs> "That says, by this I know that you are well pleased with me. When I think to myself, like, I'm a total write-off, like, God should have totally written me off a long time ago, I go and I pray this psalm, it says, by this I know that you are well pleased with me, not just pleased with me, well pleased with me, because yet my enemy has not overcome me. Like, I have a thousand enemies out there seeking to devour me, says St. Peter. Roaring lions seeking to devour me. If God wanted to to write me off, he He has ample opportunity to do so, but He's let me... He's let me survive yet this long out of his love for me. And so we talked last week about that, you know, as we encounter our sin, if we look at just our sin, it's so, it's so depressing. But if we look at it on the backdrop of God's love, then all of a sudden God's love seems that much more magnificent. Um, and so staring at ourselves and, and, and putting ourselves down and deprecating ourselves is not, is not useful. But looking at how much I've been loved in contrast to what, to who I am and what I've done, now that really helps to define the magnitude of the love of God for me, or at least it puts, it puts an inferior margin. God's love is at least this big. For me. All this is stuff we're all all this is, is we're reviewing. And so we we concluded a couple weeks ago by saying it's not about what you have to do, but what about what's being done for you? Or in other, in other words, the power is on the other side of the as statement. The power is on this side of the as statement. And so today we're gonna look at a new as statement. Jesus says, to do unto others not as you would have done unto yourself that's the golden rule that's present in all mainline religions by the way. do as I have done unto you a question for you today as you're sitting here right now is what has Jesus done for you I want to take one, uh, one example um, of one of the things that Jesus has done for each one for each for each one of us for each believer. And Jesus is so happy and ready to do for each one of us again. The night before Jesus is betrayed, the night before, the night he is betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus takes, after dinner, he sets his outer garment aside, and he takes a bowl and a basin and a towel. He wraps the towel around his waist. He goes and he kneels down in front of one of his apostles and he says, may I wash your feet? Now here is, by this point, the disciples are fully convinced he is the son of God. He is the creator of the universe. He gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. To give you a bit of context, in in a wealthier household, when you would come and visit, you know, someone who was wealthy, they would have s- servants and slaves. It wasn't the job of the servant; it was the job of the slaves to wash feet. Servants could wash hands, but only slaves washed feet. You see, because to wash somebody's feet, you really can't do it like you really can't do it while you're standing. You really can't do it like like, like this. You're just it's just never never going to work. You you really have to get down. On your knees. It's a position of complete servitude. It's a position of complete submission, of surrender. The creator of the universe is surrendering himself to his disciples. In the church here, twice a year, we pray a service called the Liturgy of the Water. And, and, and we do this, and, and we relive this. The first time is uh, on Great Thursday, where we're reliving with Christ, Thursday before Great Friday, before his crucifixion. And Jesus washes each one of our feet. But then after Jesus did that, he stood up, and he said to his disciples, you see, you call me teacher, and you call me master, And you're right, for so I am. And you see what I have done? As your teacher and as your master, I have washed your feet. So you should do for one another. And then he says to them, just as I have done for you, so you should do for one another. Again, Jesus sets the standard by saying, just as. How should you treat one another? Just as I am have done to you. Elsewhere, Jesus says, whoever desires to be the first among you, he's speaking to his disciples, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the Gospel of Mark, it's almost clear. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I have a question for you, okay? Put like Bible talk aside for a minute. Put put all this stuff aside for a minute. How many of you like to be served? How many of you like it when somebody does something for you? I do. I like it when somebody does something for me. Feels great, right? I like it when I have something that I'm worried about, that's a pain in the butt that I'm gonna to have to do, and out of nowhere appears somebody and says, Let me do that for you. I love that. But do you see? Do you see what Jesus says? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life for his ransom for me. Let me try and make this clear in a different way. Those of us in leadership positions oftentimes have people who are our direct reports, people who report to us, right? Those direct reports are not there to serve us. They're there to serve the cause. They're there to serve the purpose. But even the Son of Man didn't think it, he merited. Didn't think it was right. It was meaningful. It was the right thing for him to have servants. If anybody in the universe, if any human being on the face of the earth, ought to have had servants and somebody serving him, it would have been it would have been him, the, the creator of the universe. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is defining for us like our life goal, our life mission. For each person, it will be much more specific than this. But it's not to be served, it's not to like get super rich, buy a little island, you know, off of the coast of Algeria, you know, and have a household full of servants. No, that's not the purpose of life, although it sounds kind of nice, you know. But the purpose of life is to serve. Just to, to, to serve to what extent, to what point? To give our life for others. Now, this is a behavior. To serve is a behavior. And behaviors are most easily learned by modeling, As the title of this talk is, Monkey See, Monkey Do. So I, I'm always very curious about where these these expressions come from. Like where did this expression come from? Why do we say monkey see, monkey do? Why isn't it like guinea pig see, guinea pig do? Or you know, or like, you know, toddler see, toddler do, or whatever, right? We we know that our children model our behaviors. If they hear us say something, they'll say it. If they see us doing something, they'll do it, right? Well, um, they did this experiment, the the psychologists did this experiment where they took five monkeys and they put them in a room. And they put some bananas on the top of a ladder. Maybe some of you are familiar with this. You're nodding your heads, right? They put some bananas on the top of the ladder, and every time a monkey tried to climb the ladder, they'd hose him down with a hose, right? Or, or they beat, or they beat him with a stick or something, and then he'd come falling down the ladder. Eventually, all the monkeys stopped trying. When the monkeys stopped trying, they took one monkey out. They took one monkey out, and they introduced one new monkey. Now, when they introduced the new monkey, he'd never seen the ladder or the banana before, but he knows what a banana is, so he tries to climb the ladder. What happened? The other four monkeys beat him down the ladder. They wouldn't let him go up the ladder, right? So they didn't need the fire hose. The four monkeys wouldn't let him go up the ladder. So they took out a second monkey, so now there's three original monkeys and two new monkeys, and the new monkey tries to go up the ladder, the other monkeys won't let him. And they started removing one monkey at a time until they were all new monkeys and there were no more old monkeys. And none of the monkeys tried to climb the ladder. And so this is an experiment explaining, you know, explaining human modeling, it's modeling of behaviors, explaining conformity, the desire to conform, and a whole bunch of of other things. very interesting and can be understood in in a multitude of contexts. But the new monkeys learned what to do and what not to do with the, with the ladder and the bananas from the old monkeys, although they had never seen the fire hose, right? So how can you and I learn? How can we be the monkeys now, rather than learning not to climb the ladder, we can be the monkeys that learn these godly behaviors? How can we model the, these, these, these behaviors of holiness. Well, a very easy example based on the monkey example would be to surround ourselves. To surround ourselves with holiness. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Since we have such a huge crowd of men and women watching us from the grandstands. This is the uh, a paraphrase from the Living Bible. Since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith, Watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, especially those sins which wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience and perseverance the race which is set before us. This is said, this verse, Hebrews 12:1, is going to come right after Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, St. Paul goes through a list of, of the great men and women of faith and all of their enormous faith and trust they had in God. And so he says, see after this this long list of heroes that I just shared with you, surround yourself with these people and they're watching up from you on you from heaven and they're cheering you on. Surround yourself with them so that you can run the race with perseverance. How does that take place practically? I'm just to share with you some things that I learned from holy people around me and a practice life. It's so helpful to have a prayer corner somewhere in your home or somewhere in your office or somewhere, wherever, where you can go and you can just shut the world out. The the, the blessing of a corner is that when you stand in a corner, if you stand with your face in the corner, you can't, it blocks most of your peripheral vision. Now, you don't have to stick your face right in the corner, but you can take a step back. And if you can take a step back and all you can see is pictures of of your friends in heaven, right? It's almost like, you know, when when I visit my parents or when I visit my in-laws, they both have walls of pictures. When I used to live there, those walls were blank. You know, now that we've moved away, now they've got... All kinds of pictures, pictures from when we were growing up, all kinds of things, memories that they they want to keep, things that they want to surround themselves with that give them joy, that give them the opportunity to relive moments of joy, right? Do that for yourself every time. I had a friend, every time she would hear the story of a saint and it would inspire her. She would go and find a picture of that saint and she would print them up all the same size, about 8 by 10, and frame them. She would have bought like 40 frames that were all exactly the same so they would be matching. And then and then she just literally lined the wall in her room, you know, and like row after row after row. It looks like, you know, as the years have passed, it looks like an iconostasis, you know, it looks like, it looks like the wall at church, you know, with, with all of these pictures of saints, but imagine every time you go to sleep and every time you wake up, you feel like you're surrounded by people who love you, who care about you, and their stories, if they're personal to you, like I'm not saying like, you know, like find some compendium of pictures of saints and just print them all and wallpaper your house no things that are personal and meaningful to you things that are inspiring to you and then when you need courage you can look up and you can look up at like Saint Abbas Khairun and you can be like oh my goodness this guy this guy slapped an emperor in the face he literally like the emperor blasphemed God he literally just swacked him in the face right and he told him don't you dare ever say that again what courage what courage I'm shy to do the sign of the cross before I eat at work. This guy slapped an emperor of the known world in the face. He obviously had his head chopped off afterwards, but that's just besides the point, you know? (laughs) What courage, what courage, right? Another one of my friends is a missionary in Africa. He was a missionary in in Rwanda during the Civil War and the genocide that was happening there. I call him every now and again, to send him money or, or, or whatever, ask him what he needs and all of this stuff. It's impossible to reach this guy. This guy has faith in God like very few people I've ever met. So one day I asked him, don't you ever get discouraged? Don't you ever get down? Don't you ever feel like you're alone? He's literally alone and people are being burned alive around him. They would take parents out of their homes and they would they would take the, the take them tie them to each other put a bunch of tires around them and light them on fire and have the kids watch right and then they would capture the children the girls would be getting, you know they'd go into the sex trade and the boys would become child militia it was horrible right and this guy was running a school for orphan children with no money no resources no nothing I mean this guy's a hero right. Anyways, I asked him, what do, you, "What do you do when you feel alone? Like you never are you are you made of steel? Like what's going on?" And he says to me, he says to me, this, he had happened to be visiting back visiting in North America. He stuck his hand in his in his shirt pocket and he pulled out this stack of these cards of saints. You know these plastified little cards of saints. And he goes to me, "Whenever I feel alone, I take out I take out these to remind me that my friends are with me." pull them out and I talked to each one of them. Archangel Michael, stand with me. Don't let me go. St. Nina, don't let me go. I need you. I need your help. I need your protection. You know, and so on. One, this is one after the other. He had to stack this thick in his pocket. He probably had more saint cards than he had, than he had currency in his pockets. You know, but this was the currency that gave him the power to do what he was doing. Something I do is, um, when I feel worried, when I feel scared, when I feel when I feel like I'm out of out of sorts, and I need a reminder, I remind, need a reminder of who I am and and, and why I'm here is I, I wear another cross around my neck, a small much smaller one around my neck, and I and I pull it out. You know, I pull it out and I hold on to that, you know, and I feel like I'm holding the hand of God and I'm reminded of what He's done for me. And I was sharing with you, as I was sharing with you a couple of weeks ago, I often say to him, Lord, if you did this for me, I can do this, whatever circumstance I'm in, for you. If you did this for me, just so much more, I I can try to do this for you. The next thing that helps a lot is gratitude. Zig Ziglar, uh, uh, you know, one of the biggest gurus in, in leadership and productivity in business says, gratitude is the healthiest of all human emotions. The more you express gratitude for what you have, the more likely you will have even more to express gratitude for. That is so true. These are the words of Jesus said by a businessman. Those who have more, to them more will be given. The more grateful we are, the more we find blessings in our lives. Charles Spurgeon, arguably the most prolific speaker in all of London, England, in in the modern world, said, it is not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes us happy. My simple practice for this, I don't always feel grateful. There's many times where I really have nothing to thank God for or I think I have nothing to thank God for and I can't think of a single thing. The church has given us this beautiful prayer called the prayer of Thanksgiving and oftentimes we just memorize it we just say it by rote and we just kind of buzz right through it but sometimes we need to just stop and we need and, and it gives us a list of things for he has covered us he has helped us he has guarded us he has supported us he has accepted us in Himself. He has brought us, He has supported us, He has brought us to this hour. And a very simple little practice, which is really easy to do, is to take a piece of paper in those moments, in those moments where he, I need a reminder of what has been done for me, so that I can do unto others, as has been done to me already. Is I take those seven things and I write them down on a piece of paper skipping a couple of lines in between each. So I end up with three lines. So covered us, three lines. Helped us, three lines. Guarded us, three lines. And I sit and ask myself, what are three ways in which God has covered me? Okay, what are three mess-ups of mine God has kind of covered up? What are three times I can think of that God saved face for me? That God didn't let people know and see Necessarily, my my uh, Not necessarily my most uh, endearing thoughts or ideas and so on. How has he helped me? How's his, how has he guarded me? How has he accepted me to himself? Spared me and supported me and brought me to the sound? A third thing I'll share with you and then we'll wrap up is leading by example. Jesus is essentially saying, I have led by example. And now I'm calling you to lead by by example as well. So much is written about this, but just a few things, a few of the quotes that really motivate me. Nothing so conclusively proves a man's ability to lead others, so what he does from day to day himself. People are rarely listening to all of the things we say, but they're astutely observant of the things that we do or that we don't do. Sun Tzu says, a leader leads by example, not by force. I have been thoroughly convinced now, not having done like a thorough study of the Bible on this topic, but that force is almost never necessary. In fact, I would al- I'm almost ready to say that force is almost always harmful. You may get short-term <coughs> gains, but you never win. You never win the war. You might win the battle, you'll never win the war. Maybe there's some isolated times where force is useful. I can't think of any right now. A leader leads by example, not by force. Stephen Covey, a uh, very prolific writer in the leadership world, says what you do, what you do has far more impact than what you say. Jesus says to us, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus knows that example is far more useful to lead others than our words. Jesus says again, for even the Son of Man, this is just so powerful to me. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Put specific things in there. Even the Son of Man did not come to have somebody make him a coffee. Even the Son of Man did not come to have somebody to carry them uh, from here to there. Even the Son of Man, the Son of Man came to serve. The Son of Man came to do the most menial of jobs, to wash feet, to take the position of a slave. Jesus says, do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. The focus, let the focus of our energy and our and our time be on trying to define what has been done for me. This is where the power is. The moment we turn our eyes away from ourselves and we turn them to Jesus, the moment we have power. The power is in what has he done for us. So summing that up, surround yourself with a cloud of witnesses. Live a life of thanksgiving. Find, search for the things in your life that are worth thanking God for. Follow the example of Christ, who led by example. And yourself, in any opportunity you have to lead, lead by example. Monkey see, monkey do. As Jesus did, so should you. Glory to God, friend. Let's pray.